Hi, my name is Eliane Goldstein, and you're listening to The Effect on Us. And in that camp was surrounded with stone walls, and when we came in there, the first thing we saw, hundreds of frozen dead bodies. The men inside those cattle cars, without water, without air, were all fighting to survive. Why couldn't you go to university? Because I was a Jew. The Effect on Us podcast. Here's Eliane Goldstein. The Effect on Us is a podcast for people of all ages to learn about controversial subjects and the ties it has to people nowadays. In this season, the focus of the series is the Holocaust. You'll be able to hear some of the best survival stories I've ever heard from people that went through the Second World War and learn more about the effect the Holocaust had on people from Generation 1 to Generation 3. Did you know that there was a myth circulating in the concentration camps during the war that the Nazis would make soap out of the ashes of the dead Jewish people? In this episode, I'm talking to Thomas Hecht. He went from country to country trying to seek refuge. What is your name? My name is Thomas Hecht. Where were you born? I was born in 1929 in Brno, the capital of Moravia, the second largest city in Czechoslovakia. Is that where you grew up? I grew up there until 1940. And then we moved to France, fled France when the Germans came in, moved to Portugal, where I spent 10 months. Uh, but I was went to school in Czechoslovakia, in the city of Bratislava, which was the capital subsequently of the Slovak state. What was your childhood like? My childhood under Czechoslovakia was very good. But when Slovakia became independent, it became a fascist country allied to Nazi Germany. Did you have siblings? Yes, I have. I had an older sister. She was eight and a half years older than I was. When the Nazis took over in Czechoslovakia, they got the cooperation of the Slovak fascists. And I was expelled from school, uh, from the normal school, communal school. And I had to go to a Jewish school. What was that like? First of all, we had to go on Sundays and uh, because uh, Saturdays we were closed in Jewish schools. And on Sundays, uh, the kids would, uh, would throw stones at us on our way to, to the Jewish school, which was open on Sundays. How did that feel like for you to have stones thrown at you? It wasn't surprising because Slovakia... Uh, after uh, the Czechs had occupied Bohemia and Moravia, the Slovaks became a fascist state under a priest by the name of Josef Tiso, and they were allied to the Nazis. It was, it was horrible. It was anti-Semitism in its physical sense. We were frightened and we ran away. Was religion important in your house when you were growing up before the war? Well, uh, the Jewish holidays were important because that is the day when my parents and I went to the synagogue. Did you celebrate it at home thoroughly, like Shabbat, everything? Shabbat was recognized, but we were not religious. We preserved the traditions of the Jewish faith. Leading up to the war, there must have been threats of having a war, right? How did you or your family react to them? Uh, the threats were present even before the war threatened because Czechoslovakia was occupied by the Nazis and Slovakia was made into a Nazi-allied 
fascist uh, we tried to leave, which we did, and we fled to France. What was it like leaving the place where you grew up? We were happy to leave because it became a, a fascist haven. And what was France like for you? Completely foreign to me, but it was rather no well known to my father, who represented in Czechoslovakia a French Paris company. My language at home uh, was German, and this we didn't want to speak in France during World War II, so I learned Hungarian to speak with my parents. And French, of course, I went to a French school in Paris. Did you like living in the French? It wasn't a question of like living. It was a question of saving your life because we fled for our lives from Czechoslovakia where the Jews were persecuted by the occupying Germans. How old were you at this time? Uh, in 1939, I was 10 years old. And you understood what was going on around you? Of course. They didn't make you, they made you not to forget that you were Jewish. There was such anti-Semitism. Did you have to wear the, the yellow star around when you went around to, to simple not places? At, not at that time yet, but we had to go to school on Sundays into a Jewish school. And kids would line up and throw rocks at us as we went to school. Well, in France, we, uh, I, I left Paris one day before the Germans came in. In June of 1940, we fled south to various places. We tried to enter Spain unsuccessfully, and then we came back to France and lived in France until 1941 in Nice, which was not the most unpleasant. And we were looking for visas to get out of Europe. And so we got a visa to Portugal. And with that, we got a Spanish transit visa, which enabled us to go to Portugal. We got a visa to the Belgian Congo, which we never <laughs> intended to use. What do you mean when you tried to enter a country unsuccessfully? Why wouldn't they let you in? Well, because you needed a visa to all these countries. A visa was issued by the consular staff of that country in France. And uh, we had a Czechoslovak passport and the Spaniards didn't recognize a Czechoslovak passport. Um, so what was it like for you moving around to all these countries? Uh, my parents did the right thing. They sent me to school everywhere. <laughs> so I went to school, first of all, in Paris, and then I went to school in Nice, and then I went to French school again in Lisbon. École Française de Lisbonne. We stayed in Lisbon until November 1941. Were all these places equally anti-Semitic, or did you think that there was one that outranked the other? Anti-Semitism was throughout Europe, but its manifestation was much more powerful in countries which were taken over by the Germans, such as Czechoslovakia. Spain was also an anti-Semitic country because the leader of Spain, General Francisco Franco, was put into power by the Axis powers in Italy and Germany in 1938. What did it feel like for you to be going to all these countries and everyone doing such rude stuff to you just because you're Jewish? It was 
pretty awful uh, because there was anti-Semitism all over. Even in France, there was a degree of anti-Semitism, and particularly when Vichy France was established, which was an ally of the Nazis. My parents sent me to Catholic religious schools, and I learned my Catholic prayers so well that I know them off by heart still today. What was it like for you to go to Catholic school and learn all these Catholic prayers? I still know them very well. I had a very good friend here, Father John Walsh, who was always very surprised how well they taught me the Catholic prayers, not only in French, but I knew them also in Latin. Once you had converted or followed the Catholic faith, they stopped being anti-Semitic with me. Did you see yourself as Catholic when you went to Catholic school? No, I just used that as a as a tool to survive. And what about your sister and the rest of your family? What were they doing during all this time? My father was always looking for consulates which would give a visa to Czechoslovak refugees. <laughs> and my sister was the one who was really the translator for us because she spoke so well French. What year is this right now that you're telling me where you had to learn the Catholic prayers? The Catholic prayers I had to learn in 1940. 1939, 19... So where did you spend your time for the rest of the war? You said that you went to a bunch of different countries. How long did you stay in each country? We arrived in France in 1939, and we stayed in France until early 1941. And then we fled France for Portugal, and we stayed in Portugal until we came to Canada on December 31st, 1941. We were in Portugal and we got a Canadian visa valid for the duration of the war. Canada would not issue immigration visas. We had to sign that after the war, we would return to Czechoslovakia. And we were in uh, Portugal for 10 months. I went to school in Portugal. uh, And then we took a ship, a well-known refugee ship, which is recognized today also as one of those ships which took hundreds, if not thousands, of refugees from Europe to America. The ship's name was the Serpa Pinto. You may want to look it up. It was a Portuguese ship. And we came to Canada, for which country we had a visa valid for the duration of the war. We took the Serpa Pinto ship from Lisbon to Casablanca, from Casablanca to the Azores, which are Portuguese islands in the Atlantic, from there to Bermuda, Hamilton, Bermuda, where the British would review the the bureaucracy of the ship, whether it was not a spy ship. And from there we went to Ciudad Domingo in the Dominican Republic, from there to Havana, Cuba, from there to Veracruz, Mexico, from there to New York. We uh, uh, went to Veracruz, Mexico, and from there we went to New York. Since we didn't have a visa for the United States, they took us to Ellis Island, where we were locked up together with Germans who had been arrested for Nazi activity. They let us out because we had a Canadian 
uh, visa valid for the duration of the war. And on December 31st, 1941, we took the train from New York to Montreal, where we arrived for the new year. What was it like for you to live on a ship? Well, it was a long trip. It was a six-week trip. Uh, we went from Lisbon to Casablanca. There were a thousand people on board ship. It had a room for 300. How did that work? That they put more people into a cabin. We were very crowded. Did you make any friends on the ship that you still have nowadays? We didn't make any friends. We stuck together as a family. We arrived in Montreal on December 31st, 1941, after having been in New York, locked up at Ellis Island. You said you were locked up with people that were doing Nazi-like things? Well, we were locked up in the same uh, so-called cells as where the U.S. had locked up Nazis. But the, we were illegal because we didn't have uh, a U.S. transit visa. Did you know that they were Nazis? Sure. Did they know that you were Jewish? Yes. So what was the first thing that you did when you got to Montreal? Well, we didn't know anyone, so we went to the Committee for Jewish Refugees who helped us out, and my parents, as usual, found a school for me. And I was put into Montreal High in early January of 1942. I, I didn't speak any English. I spoke very good French, but we couldn't. I, my parents wanted me to go to a French school. But being Jewish, you could not go to a French school because these were Catholic schools and Jews had to go to the Protestant school system, which meant, which meant an English school. There were not any Jewish schools? There were private schools, which had, we didn't have the money to, to pay for that anyways. What was your living situation like? Where did you live? We lived, first of all, in a pensione, in a rooming house on Victoria Street. Then in a furnished apartment at 1205 Drummond Street. <laughs> and then we moved into an apartment, 1535 St. Mark Street, <laughs> until we got a house in Hampstead at, uh, on Dufferin Road. What about jobs? Did your sister get a job? Did she go to college? My, my sister spoke English, French, and therefore she, she was able to get a job uh, much more easily than my father. She was the first one to always get a job. She spoke all the languages of Central Europe, like I did. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> so you went to, to a Protestant school. Uh, you said that that's where the Jewish kids went to. Yeah. So was it like a Christian school where you had to do prayers every day? Or was it more open? No, we said the, the, a prayer every morning. And everyone had to do that. I, I I learned it. I didn't understand what I was saying, but I learned it. I didn't speak any English. And were there any other Jewish kids in your class? Yes, but I was not known as a Jew. Did no one knew? No. It was very difficult for me because we came to Montreal instead of Toronto because we spoke French. That was our foreign language. So we chose Montreal, in order to be able to communicate 
but that didn't help him to get into a school because Jews could not go to a French school. I had difficulty in school because I didn't speak English and I had to translate Latin into English and English into Latin without knowing either. They put me into grade eight at Montreal High and uh, I stayed there until grade 12. In Europe, I had finished grade seven, which meant four and a half years of school because it started in Europe in grade 11. What about religion when you got back to Canada? Did Canada, when you got to Canada, did your family celebrate the holidays, still go to synagogue? Yes, they went on holidays. Did you like going to synagogue? I, didn't, I couldn't speak any English, so I didn't understand what went on. We came to Montreal because we all spoke French, but little did we know that the Jewish community was not a French-speaking community. So you just spent the rest of the war in Canada. Um, and before you said that, you would have had to go back to the Czech Republic after the war. But obviously, you, you're still here right now, right? Yes. We changed our visa from a visa valid for the duration of the war to an immigration visa, which enabled us to apply for Canadian residence and citizenship. It was done with the help of the Jewish community organizations in Montreal. And if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? 92. Do you think that I'm forgetting to ask you something? What was the re reaction of the resident Jewish community to Jewish immigrants? So what was the reaction? Neutral. They didn't? didn't? Not much. And there I was an organization on Park Avenue uh, called JIAS, Jewish Immigrant Aid Society, but they did not do much especially to Jews who didn't speak English. And we were French-speaking Jews. C'est la vie. Yeah, c'est la vie. I'm very happy that I subsequently integrated myself into the Jewish community of Montreal and took a leadership role. And I'm still the youngest chairman of combined Jewish appeal ever. That's great. Thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Isn't it ironic that after him and his family escaped and they got to the States, they were trapped with Nazis together in jail. And to quote him, it didn't work. Join me next time for a very special episode in French when I talk to my own relative and the last survivor in my family who is telling her story for the very first time. It's going to be with Rachel Kronik. She tells me all about her memories in the war. And don't worry, because we also will be releasing an English dub version of this episode. If you like this episode, please like and subscribe and tell your friends. This is Eliane Goldstein. Tune in next time to The Effect on Us. And remember, history will not repeat itself. Bye.